Welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. You should know that this episode was also recorded in video and can be watched on our website at theundrapedartist.com and also on YouTube at the Undraped Artist Podcast. Also, check out our show notes to learn more about today's guest. I hope you enjoy the show. Oldest Zorinj, welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. Hey, how you doing? It's good to have you. I'm doing great. So, where are you right now? Where are you from? I'm I'm originally from Latvia, and I'm currently in Latvia. So it's uh, it's like a northern eastern Europe. So I'm somewhere in between Estonia, Russia, Lithuania, and Sweden. Somewhere there. Okay. So the, you're kind of um, a unique guest for me. I've never had an author on the show. So you're the first first author. But the reason I have you on the show is because your book is exceptional. I've purchased just about every anatomy book out there. And yours is always my go-to anatomy book. So for, the, for my guests, I'm going to pull this up a little bit early, and we're going to show you the anatomy book I'm talking about. It's Anatomy for Sculptors. But you also did Anatomy of Facial Expressions and... Uh, let's see. And then form of the head and neck. Now I don't have this one yet, but I'm going to be getting it from you as well. And then it, you also have another one coming out, something about the arms and hands. Is that correct? Yes. It's uh, arms and hands in motion. That's uh, we're going to launch the Kickstarter in uh, November 1st. Yeah, man. Okay. I got to tell you the first thing I thought when you came up on the screen was Dude, you're young. What the heck, man? How in the world have you accomplished so much? You look like you're like 30 at the most, maybe in your late 20s. How have you accomplished so much <laughs> in such a short time? Well, I'm I'm drinking these uh, life elixir, you know. I'm looking <laughs> young, but I'm not as young. I'm 47 at the moment. You are not. So, yeah, yeah, I do. I am 47. Holy moly, so, you do look young. That's my age. Yeah. Jeez, yeah. man. What the so, heck? So it's just like, yeah, just like a magic, you know? <laughs> do you get that a lot or is this just the screen? Just, just the camera? No, no. I'm, yeah, I look younger. That's, that's true. Holy it's cow. not on the screen. Okay. Well, at <laughs> least, at least that makes a little more sense because the amount of knowledge that you've crammed into these books is unbelievable and uh and the illustrations i mean everything about them they're just so intuitive for the reader um, they're just exceptional so i yeah so i would i'm glad to hear you're at least 47 but even still you've accomplished a lot even at that age to have all these books out and have them be so successful so i want to know a little bit about your history how first of all are you an artist do you are you a sculptor are you a painter how did you get into the business of making books about anatomy yeah so originally i'm a sculptor i'm like classically trained like properly properly uh, like trained sculptor so here in eastern europe uh, when i started my art studies this uh, classical art was still quite like strong 
at the moment it's kind of losing losing the losing the place so it's not anymore as strong as it was like 20 years ago so i graduated like the art college which was uh you know everything about like a really classical art i mean like greek and roman art so it's more about that and then art academy which was still kind of classical so it's like a fine arts academy of latvia and uh yes i'm sculptor and and the whole thing basically started because i realized and that was like um early 2000s i realized one thing that uh there is not like one good good book uh like anatomy reference book which is like especially dedicated for uh sculptors and is and in, in particularly for artists because um at the moment we have plenty of them so it's like um there's like like hundreds maybe even thousands of different kind of very visual books but believe me like 20 years ago it was like very hard to find some very good like illustri illustrative like visual book for artists it's like a paradox like you know you, you have plenty of books uh, for artists but but they are barely visual so it's mostly text and i was like struck by that so and i kind of like making my personal notes about the form and making my own sketches to explain myself so basically i just took those books and translated to my language so to my kind of artist's language and then i and then was like a early age of facebook and uh, it was the time when facebook was still organic and i was posting those pictures in, in facebook and then um and then i get like you know fans like a lot of people that was following me and they said like yeah you're making good stuff and i'm already in the story so basically uh, then i kind of uh, was looking at my notes and thinking what what should i do with them so shall i publish the book and uh, and things like that so then it was also early age of like a kickstarter and uh, people from facebook said to me that don't worry about the money we will help you to to, to publish the book and uh, and then uh, I was doing professionally art, and uh, mostly I was doing um, sand sculpture and ice sculpture for a living. Mm. And basically, what is the difference between the classical sculpture and, uh, let's say, sand sculpture? The main difference is that you make like a huge sculptures, a lot of huge sculptures in very short time period. So basically. You need like weeks or even months to create stone sculpture or bronze sculpture but with the sand sculptures like you create like a multiple of those sculptures let's say you need like maybe two three days for one big sculpture and and you kind of living those like art lives those cycles very quickly you're kind of maturing very quickly so you're making those mistakes you're failing you're learning and it all happens very quickly and you kind of uh, like in the beginning of uh, of the interview, I asked me like uh, how how did I manage to do so many things in my life, and and one of the answers is that I kind of mature quickly because of the sand sculpture. So you kind of your art education doesn't end when you graduate from the academy. Mm -hmm. Basically, your art education in some sense it just begins. So you you have to do a lot to learn a lot so and therefore i have suggested for the young artists uh to try sand sculpting or any what the kind heck of is sand sculpt i've never even heard of it i'm imagining okay. you on the beach making sand castles 
Well, not. Now it's just like a full-blown, like classical sculpture just from the sand. Well, uh, yeah, like shame I cannot uh, show you now, but... Um, well, we can uh, well, pull up the internet. Go, Do you have something on the internet? Yeah, if you go Facebook, uh, maybe you find my profile, then you can you can see some of my some of my works. Okay, there. let's do that real quick. Let's do that. There you go. There's what one. What the heck? Are you kidding me? And and see that car? Just like you know, go go forward. Whoa! Yeah, you Just gotta go be kidding me. Uh, these kind of experiments. This is one one of my favorite ones. They're just made made of sand, and there is no glue, no concrete, nothing. It's just like sand sculpture. What? How do you make a living doing this? I mean, who pa who pays for this? Well, just another story. So it's another it's just topic topic for another podcast. Oh, you know? No, no, you got to give me a little bit. I mean, that, that's this is real. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, like my Facebook is not like uh, prepared for for kind of these things. But yeah. yeah, there's Holy like plenty of stuff. How? And these yeah. things happen, they'd have to happen relatively quickly because you got to deal with the weather. Yeah. And... yeah. 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 This is Portugal. And here, like, it, 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 it might not rain for years and then it rains like a hell. And uh, there is, like, it's, I mean, like, it's, it's just like a long story about it, but uh, there's a plenty of festivals and also plenty of all kinds of, um, all kinds of, um, all kinds of, like, uh, events, competitions, and, and you can make a living and pretty decent living actually out of the sand sculpture, but then you really have to become like a professional sculptor. This is unbelievable. I have never seen anything like it. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I see what you mean though. You got to work fast. I mean, you don't, you can't just let these things sit for months and dilly dally yeah. around. And also, yeah. And then also ice sculpture, as you can see those. Uh, oh, is there some of those um, too? Yeah. 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 But anyway, like the, you know. Oh yeah, right here. That's the, the ice sculpture. Man, oh, we have pretty man. harsh weather here. Is that ice? Yeah, that's ice. Wow, okay. Oh. That, I had no idea that's what you did. This is incredible. Yeah. Yeah, unbelievable. Okay, so that's how you got, I mean, that that's what you were doing. And then all of a sudden, people started to get interested in the in the anatomy illustrations you were putting on Facebook. Yeah, well, I kind of like did this uh, sand sculpture, sand sculpture and ice sculpture for like about 10 years or something. Mm -hmm. uh, just like I write straight from academy, I went to the sand and ice thing because, you know, I, I had my children born uh, during the studies in academy and like I had to support my family and make my living. So I just like, you know, traveling around the world, Asia, like uh, USA, you know, Latin America, everywhere. And did these sand sculptures like uh, uh, around the year. And then I kind of get tired of it. You know, it's just mm -hmm. like normal. When you do something like a lot, then you get tired, even though each time you do like the sculpture, each time you, you know, you do something new, and it's kind of like a dream for the artist because you just always can do something new. Because when you start to becoming professional, in this, you kind of have to repeat yourself. Otherwise, you are not professional. Mm -hmm. And by when you're repeating yourself, you're kind of like polishing your skills and then you become even more professional. But you stop becoming, stop being creative then. 
and that's what happened to me you know even though i was making all kinds of figures still i felt myself that i kind of losing this creative side of myself and then i thought like how can i you know do what can i do something that i'm interested in but still in the same time not going away too away too far away from the arts and then you know i always like anatomy but not like in that level as i do now and um, yeah, and mm. then I start to make, then I pulled out my notes and start publish them. Because, you know, I had those notes with me always. Because when you do your sculpture, you do some like short preparation. And uh, and I like the visuals, so I kind of made my own drawing, my own explanations and, you know, simplifying forms and, you know, kind of things like that. And I was al always appreciated if somebody did it for me. And I thought like, well, but uh, that's that's a good thing, you know, when you just take something complex and then break in into the simple elements and then somebody else can use it. So that's what I really appreciate if somebody else did it. And uh, my like favorite like uh, authors uh, in anatomy is like Gottfried Bummes, you know, like Gottfried Bummes is totally mm -hmm. my. You don't know. Basically, Gottfried Bammes is a German anatomist. Actually, he died recently, 2007, and um, he was living and working in East Germany. And he was Dresden. Maybe it was Dresden Art Academy. I don't know. I, I really have to check check out. And um, he was in some sort. He was like a, like a Picasso of of art academy uh, of our um, art uh, anatomy and what i mean with picasso because you know picasso he was not like uh, the guy who was really digging deep uh, like uh, you know horizontally mm -hmm. but he was like a he was developing like vertically yeah, so he was just find a new style and then just let somebody else to develop it and and, and you know, he was uh, establishing a lot of like new like ideas in art and art philosophy, but he was never like uh, became professional in one of each of them. So, you know, cubist assemblage, all kinds of these things. So he was just playing around. Mm -hmm. And uh, and same thing with Gottfried Bammes. So he was kind of like uh, discovering these uh, new philosophies and concepts about the, uh, about uh, the form analysis, but then he was not developing them. So he made a little sketch and then move forward, made a little sketch and move forward. And then I was looking at those sketches and thinking, why don't you just take one of those sketches and just, you know, you know, go deeper. And uh, that's what I did, basically. So he is absolutely my hero. The Gottfried Baum is definitely my, my like, uh, one love. Hmm. I'll have to look him up. So you said you knew about anatomy before, but your illustrations show a depth of anatomy that is extraordinary. And one of the questions I have is, did you find that you had to learn as you went on some level in order to get such specific, such detailed information about anatomy? Or was all that information already there from past study? Yeah, some some was because you know in in classical art you have to study anatomy and pretty deep, but of course not in that level as I know now. 
it's more about like if you want to understand the subject, write a book about it. So that's that's basically yeah. <laughs> yeah. because when you're writing a book, it's different form of expression than anything else. Because when you write a book, you you have time and then you have all the reasons to really study and analyze. And uh, basically, if there is something in anatomy that is kind of not completely un understandable for me, I'm writing a book about it. That's that's my that's my mission in this world. So the book, and I, I I thought that might be the case because I started writing a book years ago, and this is one of the reasons I admire you so much because it took me months to write one chapter, and. Mm. Uh, mostly just because I just kept on proofreading and proofreading and couldn't really get it to sound the way I wanted it to sound to look the way I wanted it to look. And I'm too much of a perfectionist, but, um, but I found also that I really had to make sure that everything I said, I could really back it up. And so I found myself re-researching and making sure that what I believed to be true was actually true. Like you said, I grew from writing the book. I learned more about the subject than probably anyone that will ever read this chapter, I never did finish it, could ever possibly learn because of that. It sounds yeah, like that was your experience. Works. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it took not like it basically like from those three books, the quickest one was the first one because I I didn't have time to to expand mm -hmm. uh, because I had to finish it and uh, it took me a year, like every day for at least 10 hours, like work, nonstop work, sometimes 15, 16, 17 hours work a day, mm. but I, I did it. So the second book took me two years and the third book took me two and a half years. Wow. <laughs> like everyday work. And uh, in the in the second and the third book, it was like a whole team working on it. So it's not only me. So I was making this kind of like a raw basics, and then I gave others to to you know to make it perfect. So it's like a teamwork, and it's not only the creation of content. It's there's like many details. So without the team, it's quite hard to to succeed in in this business. Basically, you can make one good book, but uh, if it's uh, illustrative, then you need somebody to help you with. Uh, work yeah but anyway like 90 percent is, is is your work and uh yeah hmm. totally agree yeah let's i'm gonna pull up your book right now and uh i want to show people and i'll skim through it quick because obviously this stuff is copyrighted and we don't want people to get everything for free right but, no no worries no okay. worries but one of the things that i love about this book is I'm not a reader, I'm a visual learner. And you kind of touched on this a little bit earlier when you said there was nothing out there that was visual for artists. The book that I used to read before, or used to refer to before yours, that was my previous favorite was the Goldfinger book. But when I try hmm. and really dig deep into that book and read it, it was like, I mean, it was like reading a medical journal. I mean, it was mm -hmm. so, so complex and and academic um from you know in a literary sense not so much in an artistic sense although the illustrations are beautiful as well and so it was refreshing to see your book where it was completely visual with notes it's exceptional and very refreshing because it's how i think many of us learn as artists visually 
One question I have for you is you said you have a team and uh, I wonder as you're doing this book, how do you break this down? It's so complex because you've got beautiful photography, then you've got illustration over photography, and then you've got what appears to be 3D modeling in some cases, and then just straight up in illustration. Book, in the first book, it was no 3D at all. So it was just like all like uh, drawing skills. <laughs> uh, I didn't know how to sculpt 3D. Basically, that was like the, I'm um, like in the first, uh, in the second book, because I was not sculpting in 3D, like, uh, you know, digital sculpting. Right. And I need, and I basically I did sketches, and then I found somebody that can help me with uh, with 3D. And during the creation of the second book, I learned some 3D because I was I I understood one thing: you cannot be dependent on somebody that you know, you cannot be fully dependent on some somebody with this important thing. And at the moment, I'm kind of like I can do 90% sculpting myself, so it's no problem anymore. So I learn how to do digital sculpting. It was tough because I'm still some sort of like a boomer, you know, I'm coming from that older, you know, world with mm -hmm. the clay and uh, brushes and papers and stones and wood and stuff like that. And it was kind of tough for me, but uh, nothing you can do. You have to learn. So, yeah. Have you found that your books are selling to painters as much as sculptors? Oh, yeah. Was yeah, that surprising definitely. to you? Uh, no, no, it wasn't. Actually, in the beginning, I was thinking about the name. So I was kind of like targeting, of course, I primarily targeting like the sculptors because I'm a sculptor. And if somebody else can benefit, well, yeah, have it, enjoy. So that was like my thing. I mean, like a, I, I was kind of giving like priority to the sculptors. So mm -hmm. I was really, I thought that the sculptors were like the most kind of uh, uh, deprivated from like good visual content for the sculptors. And again, if you understand the form, then basically there is no problem uh, mm -hmm. for you to do to the art. So I think like the stuff for the sculptors should help to the painters and the, and the other like do the yeah. artists. Yeah, it absolutely does. You know, I just finished a painting of the crucifixion and I had your book sitting next to me the entire time. Uh, because one of the things that I found was, I mean, I, I know anatomy more than the lay person, but probably not even a fraction of what you know. And uh, I found there were all kinds of asymmetries, which we all know, anyone who knows anything about or has ever really looked at a person knows that there are all kinds of weirdnesses and asymmetries in the models. And I kept referring back to your book to make sure that as I modified these asymmetries, that I was being true to anatomy, not just making up bumps and dents arbitrarily. So it was really, really helpful. Yeah, yeah just about like the like asymmetries and irregularities. Those things actually make this organic and real life world beautiful. And that's what some of the beginning artists don't, don't realize that this like imperfections actually are even more important than like the precision of detailing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and that was the fun thing about it as I was 
doing this last painting because it was of Christ. So I was trying to balance humanity with perfection. So I left some asymmetries and fixed others. And it was just this kind of back and forth. I'd fix something, not fix, but I'd make something look more perfect, so to speak. And then I'd mm -hmm. make it more human again and less perfect and until I struck the right balance. But I agree with you 100% in that if you make everything too perfect, it doesn't, it almost stops looking human. Well, we have this natural tendency to per perfection, perfection everything. And you have to really use your energy, a lot of energy to make it unperfect. Because as soon as you relax, you start to start making it perfect again. So it's kind of like, a, it's a problem. Like. For instance, like a hairs or uh, clothing, like uh, uh, you just like as soon as you relax, everything becomes parallel, per perpendicular, and like right angles and flat, perfect surfaces and everything. And also with hairs, you start making parallel lines. So you should not uh, rely on feeling. You should really learn or make some sort of like a technique how to avoid this, you know perfect uh, tendency hmm. um, like in classical painting there is like a very good tricks how you can avoid um, avoid these perfections it's like underpainting have you heard about underpaint painting? yeah yeah that's so basically you kind of create like a you create depth uh, by just uh, painting on already non-perfect surface as you know you just make a lot of stuff before you start even paint anything. Hmm. You kind of like the canvas is not not white. You begin with already some, you know, light and shadow parties and things like that. It's extremely interesting. Like the you know these discoveries what what have what has been been done in in uh, in Renaissance about like the air perspective and color perspective and and you know, it's amazing. It's amazing knowledge, which is kind of, we're losing it. Yeah, we are. I think it, I think John Singer Sargent said this, so uh, my audience have to forgive me if I got this wrong, but he said something to the effect that if you look hard enough, you don't need to know what's there. You don't need to know anatomy because you can just see it. And for a long time, I adopted that attitude. Well, I can see it. I put the model in front of me, paint it the way I see it. But then at some point I realized that the problem is, is sometimes you don't want to have the model sitting there, or sometimes you want to change the model, or sometimes you want to work from imagination, and then, then you better know anatomy. And that's when I started really studying anatomy. That leads to my question, and that is, in your mind, clearly anatomy is important, but is it, do you feel like it's absolutely crucial? in painting and sculpture to know anatomy it's not crucial definitely uh, there is like a opposite side uh, knowing too much of anatomy as well i mean like uh, some people when they start to understand things they start overuse it mm -hmm. and then you need to really kind of control yourself to know not overuse because anatomy is just like a tool it's like a tool like every other tool in art and uh, sometimes you want to express with anatomy and sometimes you don't want to show anatomy like if you look at the medieval ink sculpture and drawing so there is like there's almost no anatomy because you know there is a different 
different uh, accents. There is like a different, uh, you don't want to uh, force this, you know, humanistic view. You just want to show something more, something beyond, and then maybe anatomy can be very distractive. So uh, I think, I think you have to, as I said, you have to be careful with anatomy. Uh, this knowledge can be uh, can be harmful for you. And other thing about uh, about seeing anatomy, it's interesting when you look at the Michelangelo's bodies. He kind of see anatomy which is not present. That's a funny thing. I, I it's kind of hard to explain, but. You, when you know anatomy, you start to project it, and sometimes you get very interesting uh, results. Kind of, I don't know. You kind of making even more realistic that it's actually is in in real life by knowing uh, and applying the this knowledge. And and I I can only partially agree with this idea about like seeing anatomy and then represent it because. You know, artist is not a documentalist. You know, the time when artists was kind of copying the reality, it's over. And it's over when the photography and video came. Uh, the, the role and the mission of artists nowadays is to interpret reality, not to represent it. Mm. And that's why this, that's what is in your head and what you know is even more important than what you see. Because camera can see better than you. You know, you will never be able to compete with camera, but uh, nobody is interested in about uh, copying the reality. They're interested about your personal view, your personal, you know, emotions, what you kind of uh, uh, experience by looking at, at the reality. Yeah, you know, I love hearing that because that's an argument that modern artists make for moving away from reality saying well the camera can copy reality so why bother copying reality but you're using the exact same argument for learning more about nature and making it better yeah. than what you can see or more real than what you can see which is a complete opposite of what the modernists would say about quote unquote interpreting reality well uh, it, it's interesting. We're living in some kind, kind of like not even postmodern world. We're living in like a, a kind of beyond the postmodern. You know, uh, the modern world was interesting. Like you always, when you think about like the art history, you always have to kind of look back into the context when this art uh, was created. And um, in like, as you know, you know this uh, modern art born in France, most, mostly you, we can talk about like the modern art schools in, in France and, and uh, you have to understand what actually happened in 1980s in France. It was just saloons and everything was overflowed with these classical figures and, and uh, people just get tired of this kind of formal, very perfect, super perfect art. And then Rodin came, and then Picasso came, and they broke it, and they start talk 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 some sort of like a gibberish, and people they just kind of woke up and they said like, wow, that's a you know it's a new taste, 
it's almost like when you're eating one food for a long time, you're losing the mm -hmm. feeling of satisfaction. And this uh, uh, this uh, modern art came with it kind of like a it kind of woke people up and uh, and then and then all kinds of interesting stuff start to to coming up and uh, and you have to understand that early modernism was not abstract it was quite realistic from looking from like um, from from our perspective it's not mm -hmm. as abstract as you think so it it came this modernism uh, came very quickly but a little bit later and i like this kind of diversity of art and mm -hmm. i uh, always adore and appreciate all kinds of ways of expression and you don't have to learn anatomy and you don't have to create like realistic art in order to express yourself i mean like the most important thing is what you want to say that's the most important thing and if you need some skills and knowledge classical art skills and knowledge or any other skills to express this uh, this kind of idea then of course you have to learn and of course as more you know uh, as better tools you have and as more free you become it's same it's coming referring back to your sentence about like copying like looking in like anatomy in the real world and then you said uh, what if I want to change it in my my head and uh, what if I want to modify it I I and and I don't have model to you know to to in front of me then this knowledge and your experience come into play mm -hmm. because then you start synthesizing uh, the things you already have these elements you just have to mix them up and make new realities and if you don't have those elements you will not be able to to make this symphony and this classical knowledge is just one of the elements which is quite handy and i think it's very impressive because as you see like this classical art using it there's a very limited amount of like uh things it's using for expression it's a human face human body and animal and that's it that's it three mm -hmm. things human human face human body and animal and why it is so because these three things or let's say two things human and animal gives us like the most of emotions most of emotions we have from the human and also from animal and uh, if you know those things and you know how they're built you have very very powerful tools to express yourself hmm. yeah i agree 100 percent. it's uh it's, you know, I've often used the analogy, if you want to be a poet, the better vocabulary you have, the easier it's going to be to say what you want to say or write what you want yes. to write, right? And these are just artistic vocabularies um, that you're referring to. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. It's a good analogy. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So you mentioned animals, and I'm taking you literally. Is this, a, is this something you're interested in as well as animal anatomy? Is this a direction you're going to go? Well, uh, one day. Maybe. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I'm interested in animals, but it's the same thing like with the humans. So I need to write a book uh, on animals to understand like, the animal anatomy. So wait, so do we all need to write a book to understand the way you do, or can we just buy your book? <laughs> I, know uh, you the I know the answer to that. I mean, uh, I honestly... To learn it, 
the way you know it, the way the author knows it, you pretty much have to write a book. I think when a book is written to the level that your books are written, an artist like me can get what they need to make great paintings. Well, you have limited time. Yeah. You know, when you, and I, I, I'm just gonna save your time and mm -hmm. I do my research for you and that's my service to you. That's my mission. So, mm -hmm. uh, of course, you can do, but then you will you will waste your time of studying this thing, and you know I will do it for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You talked about how you're doing this arm and hand anatomy one, but you've already touched on arm arm and hand anatomy in your first book, Anatomy for Sculptors. So, what is it about arm and hand anatomy that warrants its own book? Similarly to the head and neck, uh, I just kind of like dive deeper into the subject. There's more reference materials. And I think like the, the most valuable thing, what you're looking for in anatomy books is not the knowledge, but good reference. That's, that's mm -hmm. what I do. And I believe you, you have the same. So, because of course you want to learn things, but it's always not enough time for learning. And, uh, I think like the, the best. What I can give you is like, I kind of like dissect it for you and uh, give you some good reference, some good pictures, some good angles. So that's, that's pretty much, the, and like form analysis, you know, form analysis, it will be more in depth. Like if you have my first book, of course there is, uh, uh, arms and hands, just the basics. I, mean, I call it like a, survivor's book so basically you have this book to survive i mean like when i was doing my sand sculpting i had my kind of like uh, this folder where i kept like the the crucial pictures that it's needed in case if there's no internet and i need some good reference so i had these pictures uh, because when you go to the festival just a little insight how the festivals are built so if it's not the competition if it's like a festival you come to the place and the organizers, they give you like some crappy pictures and say, hey, can you do this and that? And you have like two days on that. And then you go to the hotel and thinking, okay, how I'm gonna do it? And then you make your own kind of sketching. And and if you are, if you are abroad and it was like early 2000s, it was a problem to get internet in hotels. I mean, mm -hmm. there was no internet, except like the most cheap ones, like very cheap ones because they were fighting for customers and they had a good internet, but in a expensive, fancy uh, hotels, there was no internet. And then uh, I had this kind of, this folder of pictures uh, that I always use, like the basic movements, basic shapes, and I could always survive with it. And I just, you know, put in a plastic and not gonna become wet when it rains. And always always asking what happens when it rains <laughs> in sense sculpting. So, and then, my book production started then because I had these folders and people said like, can you make it one for me? You know, my colleagues said, and then I next time I came with two folders and I gave one to the colleagues and then the others saw and said like, I also want one. Then I made two and came to the festival. Basically the, my book creation career started with just finding some good pictures in, in, in internet uh, or organizing them in into the pages and you know, laminating them and giving away. Yeah. Yeah, man, so, you're spot on be about the, your job as a 
anatomist and an author of anatomy books is to provide reference because that is the frustrating thing about many anatomy books is it's got all this text and just enough reference for you to know where the origins and insertions are, where the muscle is located. But then it, they often leave you wondering, yeah, but what does the muscle look like contracted? What does it look like stretched? What does it look like in this position or that position? And, and from that angle or that, this angle, right, you know? Right. And that's what, that's again, what's great about your perspective in writing these books is you provide all of that in the book and it's incredibly helpful. I made it for me. I mean, like, it's just like a, I made the book for me that it would be help, helpful in my art projects though. And uh, it turned out it's, it's, hand, it's, it's useful for others. So that's basically the, the secret. Uh, yeah. You just make something that is good for you and there's a big chance that, that you will serve others. Yeah, but why hasn't anyone done it? I mean, there are other good know. anatomy books out there. I mean, they're okay. They're, I'm not saying that, like I said, the Goldfinger book is great and there are some others that are good, but no one's done one like yours. And it seems so logical if you just, if an artist just makes an anatomy book for themselves, then this should have been done a thousand times over. Yeah. I don't understand. I don't answer to this question. So there's so many good books out there since that. I mean, like the, the market has changed a lot. We have a lot of competition, but still there's some things that people just don't get. I don't understand why, why it's just a simple thing, you know, just show it from different angle or just color code it. You know, because I'm also running company that's making the, the education materials for the medical, uh, medical doctors. So it's called anatomy.app. So it's basically the, you know, this web-based, you know, anatomy reference, but for the, for the, for the doctors. And, um, and people just love it and they subscribe and, and everything is fine. But as soon as we go to the universities, show it to the professors, they go like, yeah, but these muscles are color coded. Why don't you paint them red? Because they are in real in reality they are red. And I go like, okay, how can I explain you? Well, I don't know. Well, people just love it, but I don't know. I and, and that's that's the problem. So because when you make a book for if you're academic and you make a book uh or you know in you know to become PhD or whatever, you know, you're writing some science paper, whatever. There is like a particular language how you want to express. Mm -hmm. And there's like a rules how the, you know, very important paper should look like. And then, uh, you know, that in community, it's useless. And if you don't know how to read it, or if you have a different, you know, kind of mindset, you're just not able to use it. And that's, that's the reason why many of those classical art books, classical and anime art books are so intuitive and they are not so visual because the people who wrote those books, they, they have to be important people, you know, they have to show to, to the academic field that they know how to write in proper way. I don't know. So you think, because, it, you think you know, ego has made, kept this from happening? I think that's like one of the reasons ego and people always thinking how they will look like in the eyes of others. They're always thinking about it and, and they forget why they're making product, you know, 
Hmm. I, I, it's it's kind of it's strange. It's hard to explain, but it's similar with the, with the consumer product. Sometimes some company for years making very good consumer product, and other companies competitors don't even try to copy it, and they're making the same mistakes over and over again. I don't understand why, <laughs> and who can explain it? You know, very simple things. Yeah, and uh, we all we all know those companies that you know cannot put the widgets on a screen, or uh, they cannot make like the connection. They make their own proprietary connection, or uh, I don't know, like the copy paste made very complicated. Or screen recording is you have to download application for screen recording. You know these little things. Uh, and one kind of discovered, and everybody use it, and it's already a standard of industry. But others, they they ignore it. I don't know. Yeah, and same thing with the books. This episode is brought to you in part by Rosemary Brushes. If you're one of my listeners who's a professional artist, you're already using Rosemary Brushes. But for the rest of you, come on, take your work a little more seriously. Stop buying the other brands. It's just not worth it. Every now and then you may get lucky and buy a good brush from another brand, but use the brand that professionals like myself are using. Go to rosemaryandco.com, link in the description or the show notes, and get yourself some quality brushes before your next painting. I think I, I, I would speculate, and I who knows, right, really why it took so long for your books to come out or books like yours, but... One speculation I would have is that you really made a major sacrifice to do this. I mean, I don't know. You might be rolling in cash from selling these books. I don't know. But as far as in our, as far as your art career is going, you've had to basically, you've had to basically stop sculpting and become an oh, yeah. author, right? And yeah. so, regardless of what kind of income you're making now, that's a sacrifice. And I think that that's a sacrifice that not a lot of artists are willing to make. The ones who are who yeah. might have been qualified to do what you did, you know. Yeah, uh, I yes, I understand uh, your point, and partly, yeah, uh, you have to make this decision, so you'll not be able to make art during uh, when you make a book. And if you if you love sculpture like I do, uh, that's a lot to sacrifice. It is. It is. And yeah. I'm kind of trying to compensate with making content, but still, well, it's just anatomy. It's not it's not expressing my kind of inner thoughts. And I have this kind of vision that maybe when I'll be old, like really old, mm -hmm. like really old. When you start to look old? <laughs> yeah, when I start to look old, then I, I might uh, come back to the to the stone stone sculpture and uh, and and metal sculpture. And I do some some of the sculptures, and I, this year I did this uh, 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 cast iron festival. Mm -hmm. uh, I took my I, I had a vacation from my work, and then I did like a, for like a two weeks straight uh, art, and yeah, yeah, so kind of moving to that direction. Yeah, and I don't I don't want you to take that the wrong way. I am one grateful that someone like you showed up and said, I'm going to sacrifice sculpting for how many years have you been doing this? Like this book thing, like 10 years or more. How long have you been doing it? 10 years. Yeah. Exactly 10, years? 10 years. I'm going to mm -hmm. sacrifice sculpture, my sculpture career for 10 years to make content 
for the rest of the artists out there. One, so there's that gratitude, but two, there's admiration because you just can flip on a dime and move from one successful career to another and make something extraordinary in a completely different medium. So I want to look at your books again and maybe just talk about some specifics of, uh, of um, each of them. So you had said that when you do the, you know, the form of the head and neck as an example, or arms and hands, you're doing it because you want to dive deeper. Yes. As far as the form, I can see for sculptors, definitely, why studying anatomy of the head would be really important. But maybe you could expound a little bit on what about anatomy of the head would be important for a painter? Because I'm a portrait painter. And, mm. and frankly, <laughs> I probably should be, but I almost never think about anatomy when I'm painting a portrait, except for possibly the skull. I, might, I think about the skull on some level. But not a lot, not muscle and fat so much. It's just purely observation. What are your thoughts on that? If you look at the form, if you look at the book form of the head and neck, it's, 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 it's nothing about anatomy. There's no anatomy. Well, there is some anatomy, but there's very, very little in it. You're right. And the reason... It's structure. Yes, and the, yeah, yeah. And the reason why you don't have almost anatomy there is because, like you answer, you don't need so much anatomy. And so basically <laughs> how about that <laughs> that's 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 what that's actually what uh, sometimes teachers are uh, missing they kind of focusing on 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 especially in the head there's like big difference because i teach also in academy i'm uh, teaching in art academy which i graduated years ago now i'm a teacher there and um, my course is divided in two parts mm -hmm. one part is head and one part is the rest of the body Mm -hmm. It's like a once one semester only about the head and one semester only about the rest of the body. And 90% of that head part is form, not anatomy. Well, uh, if you look up in my uh, anatomy of facial expression, then it makes more sense. But again, when we're thinking about the muscles, we're thinking about some volume. But if you look at the face, the muscles, don't create the volume except like the masseter and temporalis. The rest of the muscles, they just don't create any volume. The volume is created by fat. Mm -hmm. The volume is created by bones, but not by muscles. And uh, there is a mistake sometimes when you talk about like the muscles of the head and then you're thinking about the skeletal muscles, but the muscles of the face, they're just moving that fat around. And the thing, what you, the thing, what you want to understand is where they connected and how they wrinkle and how they fold that fat. That's the only thing you want to know. And that's more about physiology, not anatomy of the face. So anatomy is just the, the name, anatomy of the facial expression, but it's very little anatomy. Again, it's more about physiology, how these uh, like uh, fat masses being moved around the head. And that's a very interesting subject, but it has very little to do with anatomy uh, in the classical sense. Hmm. That's, that's refreshing. I appreciate that. So fat is distributed different from person to person, though. Are there patterns that we can absolutely depend on? Yes. Well, fat is not like a, some 
substance that is kind of randomly spread uh, under your skin. Mm -hmm. The fat is uh, locked in compartments. Okay. It's locked in, it's locked in spaces. It's divided by connective tissue and uh, and and every this department is is very well defined and it's uh, it's described and when you get older or when you move your facial masses this fat moves into in certain ways that is very much depend like determined by these connected tissues that are connecting the skin and the fat to the bone you know what i mean mm -hmm. so it's there is no random stuff in the face so that's why plastic surgeons can make you beautiful because they know uh, how this these spaces are organized under your skin well like first of all those are spaces and the faces are filled with the fat or they're filled with all kind of body liquids but uh they are very much limited and that's what you want to know hmm and there and there's a different thickness uh thicknesses of these structures and usually uh if there is like a septa which is kind of connected tissue that separates two compartments of the fat sometimes one is very thin and sometimes another one is thicker and then you want to understand these relationship between the, these two parts. I got to correct you on one thing, though. I, uh, I mean, there may be exceptions to this, but I happen to know a plastic surgeon, and uh, I was driving by his office one day, and I thought I'd stop by and say hi. And I walked in, and it was like it was walking into a waiting room full of zombies. I mean, I have never seen so many strange-looking people in one room in my entire life. <laughs> so I think this particular surgeon, I hope he doesn't listen to my podcast, but this particular surgeon would uh, probably do well to buy some of your books before he starts cutting more oh, people Oh yeah, up. there is, <laughs> I'm, I'm very famous actually among the plastic surgeons. No I would kidding. say like the big, yes, uh, the, biggest, uh, the biggest customer of like the second book is uh, plastic surgeons. And what? I've been particip yeah, and I've been participating in these uh, kind of plastic surgeon events in uh, in Latin America, and also last year I was in Monaco. I was uh, I was giving like uh, keynotes in like conferences and stuff. Yeah, it That's is amazing. They, they always want to hear me because I kind of talking about like the form and the aesthetics because they are some sort of like artists, but like the medical Well, they should artists. be, and they should be. Yeah, yeah, they should be, they should be. In the yeah. best case scenario they are, but not always. Right. And they always want me to talk uh, about the, like the, the you know, uh, talk about, not about like injectables and like the, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, all kinds of like, uh, uh, Botox injections and mm -hmm. uh, facelifts and flaps and all kinds of things. They always want to talk about the form because I'm obsessed about the form and aesthetics and and I analyzing the form and that's they always want to hear like more about the the same subject but from the different angle. Man. And the big pharma and actually they yeah the big pharma they always want me to have on the stage and talk about the form on these big events of the plastic surgeons and I have plenty of friends of plastic surgeons and and uh, they are different that not only the patients are kind of a little bit different than than the rest of the system but also plastic surgeons are a little bit different 
And you know what? They are artists, and that's why they're different. Mm -hmm. They are freaks in some sense. <laughs> But again, uh, yeah. I, I kind of understand them. I mean, like, that's very complicated and difficult art to sculpt faces of the people and boobs and stuff. Well, yeah, if you put clay somewhere, you know it's going to be there in the, in the morning. But when you're sculpting a face, you have no idea how it's going to heal. I mean, that would be a really... Yes. That'd be a really difficult medium to be sculpting with. <laughs> well, there is uh, like there is two different directions, very distinct. One is surgical, like really in intervention in in uh, um, when you went to interventional uh, surgery kind of mm -hmm. thing, and this is injectables, which is like non-invasive plastic surgery. It's called surgery, but it has nothing to do with surgery. And then you see the result immediately. So basically, they inject like uh, some sort of a, like a kind of like a silicon kind of liquids in the face. Right. And remember, I told you, told you about these spaces, about these like compartments where the fat is stored. Mm -hmm. And when you get get older, these septas, these connected tissue, they lose elasticity, and also the uh, the the content of these spaces are changing. Usually, you lose like. Uh, fat and you lose water and then these injectables if you inject in the right depth right amount of the injectable you kind of uh, renew face and they get they they create like an amazing like uh, effects i mean like you've seen some very bad cases probably but i've seen like amazing rejuvenation kind of examples yeah it's just amazing And of course, like the best results you get from the like surgery, but you can get quite a bit nowadays. There's amazing like, uh, I mean, like like the jawline, for instance, you have this, you know, uh, jaw, uh, jaw fat, like you know, falling here. Yeah, you know, I'm like totally getting your that. Cheek. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And what they do, just inject in front and in back of this, uh, this, uh, this lump, and they create like the new line of the jaw. And... It's amazing how they do it. So and they don't it, they don't really take works. the fat away. They so no. so those gels are often because fat's disappearing around them. No, the gels are usually because of the laxity of the skin, and I mean, like it's just like the ptosis of the of the soft tissue. Mm. So that the it skin just starts to sag. So they fill around yes. it with fat to even out the lines. Yes, yes. And the same thing with the nose. So you don't have to go like a rhinoplasty, just like inject here and there and then suddenly, oh. And also the botox is, is a miracle. It's just like the miracle thing, you know. Botox is is, uh, is this toxin, the ibototoxin, mm -hmm. which basically what it does, it paralyzes, like it paralyzes the, uh, the nerves, not nerves, it paralyzes the fibers, the muscle muscle fibers. So you are not able anymore uh, to kind of uh, wrinkle it, wrinkle the skin, and to, you know, you know, fold it. And you think, well, is you've seen probably these uh, bad examples when people kind of injecting in a face, and then face yeah. looks artificial and kind of plastic face. Mm -hmm. But it, there's a bad examples, but there's also good examples because there's multiple like layers and multiple those fibers of the muscle, and if you Uh, inject in some of those fibers, not all, you can completely create, recreate the face. It's just, I've seen, well, I, I've been in those places and I've seen those results and that's amazing would, what they do. Did you know when you were 
when you started this business of writing anatomy books that you would learn so much no. about plastic surgery? No. That's incredible. No. Uh, that, I was I was calling to my like like the friends of mine which I knew like plastic surgeons or like doctors and they gave me like the numbers of the famous plastic surgeons here in Latvia and abroad. And then, and usually it was like that. So I called him and I said, can you explain me a little bit this and that? Let's say eye area, blah, blah, blah. And they go like, yes, yes, of course I will. And then they just don't call you back. Hmm. I don't know why they are, they, they too, uh, too busy. Or when you, they start to explain you, they understand that there is no point explaining you because you don't know the basics. Mm -hmm. I mean, like there is no enough language for them to explain you this complex topic. So first thing you want to learn is the language, how they communicate, you know, the medical language. And that took actually the most of the time, basically. And then as soon as I learned the language, how the, you know, the medical language, then I don't need those doctors anymore. There's just so many good papers out there that you can find in the <laughs> internet and read. So you learned the medical language so that you could talk to doctors. And then, yes, then you realize now I that can. you know it, you don't need it. You don't even need to talk yes, about it. I don't need it. That's no, ironic. I don't need. Yeah. There is so many good content out there. I mean, like videos, like uh, scientific papers. There is like a annual publication of like the uh, plastic surgery um, uh, association of plastic surgeons. They public publishing the American Association of Plastic Surgeons. They annually publishing these papers about like the new discoveries and stuff. Like you can read so much about that and i'm i'm hmm. so glad that i can hmm. so what are you doing from day to day besides reading these papers and you said you've got a whole team how does how does this all work what is your what did the individual members of your team do and how is the business run uh, as i said i do teaching in academy a few times per week um, then i go to my office uh, the team is uh, like the two 3D artists I have. I have um, like a whole team of this um, IT engineers, programmers. Um, then I have copywriters, like marketing people, finance people. So yeah, so it's about like 20 people team. Wow, you're kidding me. Did you ever imagine yeah. that when you just had your no images on the beach i hate it i hate it <laughs> you, you do you really yeah, yeah i do you're so you're not really you're, you're not one of those people that just loves business you, you it's no. just a necessary evil no uh, necessary evil definitely i'm like quite an introvert person and i i i love to rely on myself and uh it's 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 stressing and and it's it's well I don't like it. I like I, I like to be I like to rely on myself, you know. Yeah, well that's but an artist. When you, yeah, we're not team players. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's if why you want I asked. to do Yes, and if you want to do big things, you have to you have to work in teams. You have to thinking about the business things, you have to plan strategically finances and you have to stress all the time about the cash flow and taxes and all kinds of like administrative problems and and, uh, you know, there's also human resources problems. You have to fire somebody. You have to fire somebody. I hate it. Hmm. Man. So how did you, how did you make the shift? I mean, 
you're an artist, you're not a team player, you're an introvert. Yeah, uh, how did you was, how did you was, hire the first person? How did you get the guts to just finally become a business person and make your first hire? Hmm. I didn't know. Uh, it was scary. It was scary. Yeah. And who was your first yeah, it hire? It took time. First hire, 3D artist. A 3D artist. Of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I had to I had to finish uh, the second book and I I need the 3D artist to help me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just hired my first employee for the podcast, but it's my daughter, so it wasn't quite as scary. <laughs> but even even that, it's like, you know, I get what you're saying. It's hard to be a team player and uh, and just put your creative endeavors into the hands of other people. Yeah. It's and you and I'm and I'm always the bottleneck in a company. Like if everything is delayed, it's always because of me because, you know, I don't know. This creative part, I cannot, uh, I didn't, still, I'm, as I said, like 10 years I'm doing this thing and I didn't learn to, to, to outsource, not outsource, to delegate the things mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. enough to, to, but still so many things are depend on me. And that's, that's not like the good business. If there is like uh, one person that, that other persons are like dependent on so i would love to have business that i i can go to vacation and it just running independently and then i come back and nothing has changed i would love but it's not the case i have to work on books and content and social media and this and that hmm. yeah well if you ever figure out that secret let me know because yeah. uh <laughs> Because I feel like some days I need to hire some people and uh, it's hard to make that, that leap as an artist, but, um, hmm. well, there's no solution. There isn't. No, no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are some artists that I feel like are pretty good at it. I've, I, I've interviewed at least one, uh, like Andrew Tischler. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the creative endeavor, but it guy's a, he's a, savage business person at least he seems to be but you know i think that's rare among artists that's very rare yeah yeah i'm not that i'm not that type <laughs> yeah so how is your book doing it seems to be doing well because everyone i know knows about it and i'm all the way mm -hmm. here in america and you're in eastern europe so that's got to be a good sign but how so how is it doing yeah it's somewhat like uh half a million copies sold around the world half a million that's Copies. good right yeah that's amazing yeah. right that's uh too amazing it's including china of course yeah so wow. they create something about half of the whole sales is china because the book is translated into somewhat like nine languages and uh seven of them are legal and and then like uh two illegal hmm it is amazing. Illegal is Farsi, Farsi, and uh, how was the second? Russian was illegal language translation, and they also selling them illegal. Uh, illegal to who? Who because, makes the law? Russia. Well, they just like no, they just translated themselves and selling somewhere in Russia, and they translated in selling somewhere in Afghanistan and Pakistan. 
Oh, what you're saying Amazing. is they're translating it and selling it, not you. Yes. So they're breaking yeah. the law. No. Okay. I yeah, thought yeah, you yeah. were saying that you're not allowed to make a Russian translation. No, 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 no. No, they, they made their own, they own that they don't pay me anything. They just selling the book in the country. Oh, geez. That's frustrating. Yeah. Then there's, there's seven legal languages, something like uh, Portuguese, French, German, English, uh, Japanese, two Chinese languages, Korean, and some more languages, English. Oh my gosh. That's gotta be so frustrating to have your book stolen like that. No, no, those that, what I said, those are the legal copy. Legal no, no, languages. no. The other ones though, the other languages, other ones. No, no, no. They, we contacted the guy in Pakistan and we said like, Hey, you selling my book in Farsi and how, where did you get translations? He's like, I made myself and okay. And then you're selling book for money. He's like, yes. And then he said, shall I, like, shall I share with you with the profit? And I said, like, no, just fuck it. Just sell it. Really? Pakistan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, cool. I, 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 I don't have, like, I mean, like, it's a poor country and uh, whatever makes you happy. So I cannot control, I, I cannot have my hand on, on, on your business. Like, uh, just have a good luck. That's yeah. what I said. You know have what, fun. though? Your audience is so huge. I can't even imagine how many the potential for sales that you have. Yeah, over time, yes. And uh, what I, I we we selling also like publishing rights to to like to other countries because we kind of have hard time to understand like the other countries like uh, the culture and then it's hard to sell in some especially the Latin America. We're looking for some publishers. So if somebody hears me, then contact me. We're looking mm -hmm. for some publishers in uh, in uh, in Brazil and also Mexico. We're selling some amounts because we have translations, the Spanish and Portuguese translations we have, but there is a there is a very strange laws that you cannot import the books because they have something like hundred uh, percent tax on top of it, and uh, uh, Brazil is very poor country, and they just cannot afford my books and i that's that's a shame so i would love uh make it accessible for the for the brazil therefore we really need some some publishers or some you know agents there so and we can sell the rights or cooperate yeah. or whatever this sounds really complex it is sometimes it is yeah i can not. see why you don't like it <laughs> i mean yeah. It, it just, yeah, it sounds like a lot of grunt work trying to figure out, you know, how to get your books in and out of countries and that stuff doesn't, yeah, it certainly doesn't sound like the creative side of art making. Yeah, it is. But then if you have a proper person and in, in right, right person in right place, then it's not so bad. I mean, yeah. then you can, and then it just works, but yeah. then it takes, it takes time to find such person. Yeah. And I'm very lucky, actually very lucky. Yeah, it seems like you've done really well. So you said you've got a campaign for your next book. How do people contribute to that? Uh, it will be published in social media. Uh, I think we're launching it uh, November 1st, okay. the, the campaign. And um, if you follow follow me on social media, Anatomy for Sculptors, you probably will get some links and then would be nice to, to, to uh, to reach the goal in the first day or so. 
Is there a, is there a place on your website that there'll be a link as well? Anatomy for sculptors.com. I think, yeah, there is already some, something, but it, I think there'll be even more. Anatomy for sculptors definitely will be some information. There's already Kickstarter, Kickstarter warmup, uh, but we will be publishing also on social media as well. So just Great. follow us on, on social media and then you will get updated and yeah. And where can people buy your books? Uh, if you live in, in USA, the, probably the easiest way is Amazon, but also you can order from our store. Uh, it will be probably, if you are a prime Amazon user, probably Amazon will be cheaper for you. But if you order from our store, it you will support us more. You will. You know, okay. Yeah. That's good to know. All right. Well, Aldis, it's been awesome talking to you. And uh, again, thank you for doing it. Thank you for making the sacrifice and taking your way yourself yeah, away from pleasure. your own art to help the rest of us out. It's uh, I certainly appreciate it. And thanks for being on the podcast. No, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Undraped Artist Podcast. If you enjoyed it, subscribe. And if you could, leave a comment or review. That really helps the channel. Please share the show with your friends, and if you're feeling generous, consider a monthly donation at theundrapedartist.com. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next week.